Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Hey guys, Omar Khan here with Beta Trading Co. I wanted to tell you about episode 124 of the Breakthrough Podcast. We currently have a special offer for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. We're offering a free one hour live training session where we show how to instantly add stock options as a new income stream. Now I've used this myself personally over the years to create a sizable real estate portfolio for myself and there's no reason you can't as well. Cool thing is it only takes about 30 minutes a day. So if you have a job, or if you have a business or you're just spending a lot of time with your family, you're gonna have time to incorporate this in your life if you take the time to learn this, okay? now. We're also offering a 15 minute free consultation to discuss how our option strategy can work with your current investment strategy and really take your investment to the next level, okay? So for more information, check out 30minutesdoctrader.com forward slash breakthrough to join us on our free live training, our next webinar. Remember again, episode 124, where Sandy and I go over exactly how I use this strategy to acquire a large real estate portfolio for myself. And there's no reason why you can't as well. See you there guys, talk soon. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Good morning, and thanks for joining us here again today. We are excited to have you back for some more knowledge and sharing and real estate golden nuggets. So uh, as usual, we are here with host extraordinaire, Sandy McKay. Thanks, Rob. Happy to be here again. Excited to do another uh, episode here and uh, share some awesome stuff. Yeah, me as well. Um as usual, anyone listening should go over to our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. There you can download or listen to uh, all of the episodes that we have recorded over the past seven years. I believe right on the dot now, seven years, Sandy. Thank you, probably For the right. day. Yeah. Um, hmm. So I'm not, like, look how much more we know than when we started. The goal when we start time, man, it's crazy. 135 episodes, which mm-hmm. um, you know doesn't sound like a ton over seven years necessarily, but but we were doing one a month for for a while when nobody else was doing this, right? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, like, just uh, when when we started this, the goal was for us to learn from all of our guests, as we still do, um, and uh, and uh, you know, just to be able to bring people on, smart people that know a lot more than we do and uh and learn from them and that's still the case and we're going to learn some more today so i'm really excited and looking forward to that but before we do um as well people should go over to itunes and oh wait a minute we should mention our free gift on the website they can grab that at breakthroughrapodcast.ca the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate and uh when you do that of course you get access to all of our contents uh and you'll never miss a show you'll never miss the opportunity to join us for some property tours or webinars or anything else we got going on so go grab that and get on our email list for sure absolutely okay and uh go over to itunes leave us a rating review 
we really appreciate everyone who comes on and tells us what they think. Um, we don't have many negative reviews, but when we do, we try to look at them, listen to them, and see if we can, you know, fix things, get them back on track. For uh, those of you who, you know, just have those little little things that are bothering you about the show. Uh, <laughs> but uh, other than that, we really appreciate everybody's. Uh, most of the time, five-star reviews of the show. It does help us get out there and get other people listening to us. So if you have a chance, go over to iTunes and, and leave us, you know, your thoughts. Tell us what you think. We appreciate that a lot. Yeah, over, I don't think we'd be here seven years later if it weren't for uh, the support of everyone doing that. So really grateful for all that support and uh, happy to keep keep things rolling into 2021 with some more great content. I don't know if you saw that, Sandy, but Zolo, you know Zolo? I saw, I saw you shared that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we got uh, put on their list of the top 27 real estate podcasts as number five. So that was pretty good. Cool. Happy to see that. Um, well, okay. We should remind people so, to go listen on Facebook and uh, Insta and or YouTube live as well because we do host these uh, audio for seven plus years. We've been doing it on video for, I guess we're getting maybe close to a year, eight, nine months. No, and, it's uh, got to be a couple of years now. Time yeah, flies. But- yeah, so people got to go jump on there too because you can join us live and be on while we're actually here and, and you can ask questions live with our guests and uh, we'd love to see some more interaction that way. So make sure you go like our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and you can jump into the action that way as well. Exactly, perfect. Yeah, please do that. We'd love to hear from you while we're doing the show. Okay, well, let's get to our guests, Sandy. Let's do it. We've got uh, the amazing Nikki Calford here with us today. And uh, we're going to talk with her a lot about analyzing markets, how you uh, are able to invest in different ways in different markets, different strategies, to implements, et cetera. Uh, Nikki's coming with us, to us today from beautiful London, Ontario. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here and uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, welcome. Okay, well, let's start off by uh, getting you to share a little bit about yourself and your investing journey so far. Okay, so it's been just a couple years, I would say. Um, I started when I was 21. I started uh, right out of college. I bought my first house and it uh, it was a disaster. Um, so luckily I worked at Home Depot at the time and could be fairly handy um, and renovated it up and then ended up selling it and flipping it. So then I continued on, on that journey for the next 22 properties. Um, and uh, flipped a bunch and now I'm looking at the Burr strategy where I add some value out and then pull that revenue um, equity and keep going, right? So that's the process. How did that first one look? How did you, you said it was a disaster. Why don't you tell us more about the disaster parts? Because I think we all learn from a lot of the failures really well. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I actually luckily made money off of that one, which kept me kind of hungry and and kept going with it. But when I walked in, the carpet disintegrated in my hands. Um, We didn't need a key to get in because the front door was broken. Um, The toilet was not attached to the sewage underneath. It just kind of like drained into a crawl space below the house. Um, there were crack pipes in the kitchen cabinets, that sort of thing. So you can picture a 21-year-old girl that um, had zero experience with any of this stuff and kind of lived a fairly sheltered life, <laughs> started in on this and just um, put a ton of elbow grease in. I think the one day, um, it was super hot that summer. And so I worked all day painting and everything else. And I bought a kiddie pool because there was no air conditioning in this house or anything else. So I bought a kiddie pool and put it in the backyard and I'd filled it up the day before nice and cold. I was like, okay, I'm going to just finish painting this one room. And then I'm going to go take a break, put my feet in this little kiddie pool and cool off. And I was looking forward to it. And I go out back and the pool's gone. Someone had stolen <laughs> the pool out of the backyard. Um, and like four days later, I see this kid on his bike carrying my kiddie pool down the street. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> can you, like, it wasn't nailed down in that neighborhood, it got stolen, but I uh, ended up turning it around. And uh, it's funny, every time it comes back on the market, it, you know, brings back all those memories of how, uh, my first experience with that flipping came about so it's kind of cool so you didn't keep that property you sold it 
I sold it um, almost a year later um, and I actually had it rented out for six months um, while we were bought, we had bought a second property and uh, we're flipping it. So because of capital gains, the way it was set up at the time, we had to keep that property for a year um, as my primary residence. So um, at the time, my boyfriend and I each had one. So we would flip from one house to the other um, and always keep it as a primary residence. What got you to the point where you looked at this piece of junk and decided, yes, like I'm going to tackle this. I'm going to take it on. This is not too much work for me. I'm ready. My first one has a toilet that drains into the basement. Um, stupidity. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think the biggest part was um, my budget. So at the time, I think I made 21000 a year full time um, there. So I could only approve for $65,000. Um, and that gave me a total of four houses available in the entire city. Um, so I kind of picked the best of the worst and was like all right i work at home depot how hard can this be i run seminars on how to do things and i can decorate and whatever else let's just do it so that's how that came about and uh turned out not too bad did you have other people like was there influence as far as uh the flipping stuff or where'd you get the inspiration or decide to go into that so I think my parents weren't flippers per se, but they always bought, you know, the ugliest house on the street. And my mom was an interior decorator, so she would make sure that the house looks good. Um, so that was one of the things that we just kind of saw it growing up, talked about it, you know, always helping build things, put floors in with my dad. Um, I had two younger brothers as well that we kind of, all helped out with all these projects so it was just kind of what we did and so it wasn't a totally out of my realm to be like okay well i could fix that sometimes okay, gotcha. my head, but all right so that's good i mean uh, to have that influence growing up i think is uh is i guess there's like uh sort of two ways that people come up it's either with their family or they get that like inspiration from some kind of a book or, or something, but it's nice. It's nice to uh, hear from somebody who actually grew up with that kind of thing, you know? Well, um, I think that, parents was, were the influence. that was the days before HGTV, right? So we were kind of, we didn't have that influence where a lot of people have that now. Sorry, how old are you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> 65,000, I was going to say 65,000, that, that wasn't necessarily yesterday, um, mm. for, find those type of price points. How, how, uh, how, like, obviously now the price points in London would be, that was in London, right? Yeah. So, so that was before a lot of flipping was happening at the time. Properties were appreciating at about 3% per year. Um, so not huge, whereas it's like 27, 28% now, um, but it was a pretty steady 3%. So to get any good profits, you had to buy properly back then. Luckily, I lucked out on that one. Um, I sold it a year later. I think I made 11000 which was pretty good considering it was a $61,000 property and just rolled it into the next one. So that property actually came up, I want to say less than six months ago again, and it was priced at 250 I think it sold for 270 So... And what is that? Is that like a single family townhouse? No, it was a single family house, um, two bedrooms. The basement, you had to like bend right over just to get down to the stairs. We could hardly get the washer and dryer down in there, but it worked. Um, but it's just a cutesy little house. It still has the same flooring I installed in it. It still has, you know, this the same um, fences and stuff that were there. It's, uh, so it's kind of interesting how it's appreciated um, without them doing a whole lot since cool. kind of is like, okay, you should have just held on to it. Never sell anything. Cause it's going to appreciate over time. Right. Well, we talk a lot about that in, in, in terms of like flipping versus holding and the real wealth is, is always really in the holding the properties and yeah, you can make quick cash and it's okay, but that tends to go away pretty fast. Typically, even if you make it, it tends to disappear really fast for most people. Yeah. And so the, really the long-term, 
really strategy in, in real estate to me is always just finding a way to hold them and hold them long term and just force savings. It's just it's just forced and the appreciation goes up and down over time. But you get years like this past year or or 2017 or other years where it just just makes a, such a huge difference to your wealth and and um, and yeah, you've used multiple strategies over the years, but you you would have done a lot of flips, right? Is that has that been something you think that was a uh, the right strategy for you at the time, or was there? What do you feel about your your uh, your journey doing all those flips? I think I didn't really have a whole lot of guidance. Um, there wasn't the podcast. There wasn't the like the internet presence wasn't there back then. Um, you know when there were dinosaurs and that sort of thing that we hid from. But so. I think I did what I could with the income level that we had. And it was very, I think the big change came about five or six years ago where it was like, okay, the mindset was I always had to use my own money. I always had to use my income to like to get approved on these properties. And it was my primary residence all of the time. So you were really limited to, you know, the full-time hours as a full-time job to versus you know, being able to invest and everything else. So it was really limited to my income level. Um, whereas the last couple of years, it's it's looking at how to leverage things and um, use properties to grow that wealth and and partner with people and, and look at different strategies um, and burr the property out. So get that equity in it and put it into something else. So it's, I think in the last five years, my mindset has grown into the added investment so much more than it did for the, you know, just two years before that. So what about, uh, what about your journey beyond this, the actual investment side of things, you know, you were, what's been your path to transitioning now as basically full-time in, in real estate? How, how did that journey look from going from Home Depot life, um, 21,000 you mentioned to what you're doing today? Yeah. So, um, I had a career. Um, I was a single mom and I had a really good career. I worked for Union Gas for a long time. Um, benefits, uh, pension, all sorts of good benefits of having that good career. Um, but it just didn't fit inside my life. So I was I was a certified home stager and I was flipping houses on the side, always had like a side gig going on. And it got to the point where that was really holding me back. Um, I couldn't, there's just only, only so much time in a day and I couldn't spend eight hours there, be a mom and flip houses and run a business and that sort of thing. So it, it looked at it and it was really, as much as that was a great income and security, it was really holding me back to get forward in the goals. So I ended up getting my real estate license, learning more about it, being able to do that. And when I looked at what my career was, I actually dropped that back to part-time at Union Gas and did real estate full-time. It took that dropping, to look at that time that I was spending at Union Gas, it was actually costing me more money than what I was making there. When I looked at what I could be doing and everything else kind of fit together, staging, uh, flipping houses and and buying investment properties and a real estate license all work together, whereas Union Gas was actually working against me. Mm -hmm. So I looked at okay, how do I replace that income? Put that in the bank, and then once that that year income was in the bank, I dropped it and jumped in to real estate full time um, with two feet. So, and then today things are completely different. Um, it doesn't scare me to 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 work in real estate and be you know 100 in the way it did when i first started looking at it that's great now um we sort of skimmed by i wanted to talk a little more about first of all congratulations on that that's a big a big accomplishment so i don't want to just graze over that we talked to so many people that do this it almost seems normal to me now to hear that i'm like yeah yeah it makes sense like everybody's doing that that we talked to come on like you know, but <laughs> but it is a huge deal, and it's uh, and it's something to absolutely stop and and think about, and like what an accomplishment that is to just be able to jump into real estate full time and leave that other career behind. I think um, a lot of people have that goal, but not everybody's you know 
I guess not some people have too much fear to take that extra step and, and go ahead and, and take the leap. And, and I would say you did it the smart way. You saved up some money, you saved up that year of salary and then, and then took the jump. So uh, congratulations. Thanks. That's huge. Um, I wanted to talk more about what strategies you're using now though. So right now, um, and I work with a ton of investors um, through through what we do. Um, and I, I constantly get people like, oh, you know what, tell me about flips, how to get into flip markets. And right now, London, as well as most of Ontario, isn't the market to flip properties in. Um, and so I've made the switch to more of that burr strategy because it's a great market to burr things in. Um, you buy it right, you take those tenants out, you renovate it, and then refinance it and hold it, and then take that refinance money and repeat it into the next property. So that works because it, the appreciation is there as well as the renovation costs and the rental rates have gone up quite a bit from um, over the last few years. So you're winning threefold there um, and keeping that property long-term, which talking about my first property is the way to go anyways. Um, and being able to refinance and buy more um, really works out. So that's kind of what we're suggesting right now in today's market, because we are seeing such a great appreciation. So if you can buy right, that's what, what uh, the plan is now. So what about yeah, if you were, what about for flippers who were curious your thought on it? Because I, I I kind of agree it's a tough market in most cases for flipping. But but what if the market keeps going up like it does? Then you can always benefit from the appreciation there, right? Yeah. Um, as part of that flip process over six months a year. So basically, what we're looking at now. So if a house is listed at five hundred thousand and the aftermarket rental value is six fifty, we're basically knowing that it needs $150,000 worth of work done. So if you were just to do that work, buy it at 500, put the 150,000 in, the market right now shows the comps at 650. So there's no room for profit unless between the time you buy it and the time you put it back up on the market, there's a huge appreciation. And that's where, but that's a speculation, that's a risk. So if something happens with the market and you don't get a huge appreciation, um, then you're, you're going to have to hold it for longer. Still can be a benefit, um, but it's, it's riskier now in this market than it was before. Well, I've always kind of said to people that ask me about flipping, it's like, if, if that's going to be your full-time job, you know, you're going to go to that job site and that's going to be where you make your, your active income, then go nuts. Like that's, that's great. You know, you know, take the money that you make from that and buy an investment property to keep. And then, you know, that's your day job. That's fine. But I think if somebody is looking at it as a, as an investment strategy, like really it's, you know, that it's fleeting. It's very fleeting, right? There's no wealth building in, in flipping per se. Yeah. yeah. So. It's a career kind of like day job. Exactly. And you have to have some sort of a, like, get, you need to have some sort of cost cutting version there. You need to do some work yourself or something. And it, or else it's very, 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 very tough to, obviously there's just that risk. Like you said, just the appreciation, as long as the appreciation's there, I guess it's okay. But that's a lot to, uh, a lot to rely on because yeah. we've seen markets obviously go up and down and um, it's not always going to be there. What about any other challenges in the market currently? Like what, what else are you seeing for investors right now, given obviously um, pandemic type of life and things like that going on? What other challenges are out there? So, I mean, pandemic wise, showing properties and, and you know, tenants can be a pain. Um, we're seeing a lot of that as investors um, are looking at landlord tenant board issues and that sort of thing that are long term, like, have been happening for months on end. Um, but I think there's an opportunity in that um, when you find those properties that, you know, maybe do have um, the tenants that haven't paid uh, rent in a long time, you can kind of step in there. And if you've got the wherewithal to fight through that, uh, you can pick up some really good deals on that, uh, whether it's condos or single families. Um, that sort of thing right now is, is you know, maybe 
the bonus to that negative side of, of um, the pandemic for an investor. Um, the other thing we're seeing is a really low inventory rate right now. Um, so investors that are looking to buy, you know, they're starting out, maybe they're going to be competing against more first time home buyers. So if they're looking at buying condos or single family houses to rent, that's going to be a real challenge because there's so few inventory in that and you're, you're competing with everyone in the market versus where if you go to uh, triplexes or, or, um, bigger multi-units that need work that you can kind of renovate out there's a little bit easier path to do that so it really depends on where you are in your kind of investment journey that way i think yeah seeking out landlords maybe that are having some challenges is always an opportunity in that but there, there's almost more of those potentially now maybe even more so as we continue into 2021 with uh with landlords that are struggling or having issues that they don't want to deal with and maybe get a little sick of things and it's also really tough to list those properties, really, because it's tough to get people through, like you mentioned, right? So having showing challenges and everything is ultimately, potentially in the right scenario, maybe a, a, a situation that maybe can lead to some sort of a reasonable deal or a better deal than maybe you'd find otherwise. Maybe maybe certainly better to, compared to like a really simple, easy purchase today where you're going to get a whole lot of action on it typically because it, it's, it's a, definitely a seller's market. We had one a couple of weeks ago, actually, that tenant refused access, wouldn't even let us go in to take pictures for the listing, anything like that. Um, an investor ended up picking that up probably about 70000 under um, market value just because he was willing to take the chance. Um, and I think he's going to come out on top on that one for sure, because he was willing to take that risk where no one else was. What are your thoughts on where we're going with this uh, massive appreciation that we've been seeing in the um, mortgage rates that that you know everyone's enjoying now? Super low, all time low mortgage rates. Like, what is your what is your prediction going into next year? Well, I think there's there's a whole lot. I think it's going to continue on. Um, for one, I know we're here in London. We're a little bit further out from the GTA, but with everyone being able to work from home our demand has increased. So the appreciation is gonna continue going up when we have such a low supply and demand is really high here. So I think until we're, our prices are kind of more on par with Kitchener-Waterloo, um, Oakville, those kind of areas, I think we're gonna to continue to go up. Um, so and we're, we're quite a ways off of their prices still. So I think we have a lot of room and I think the appreciation is gonna go up quite a bit. Yeah, London's like yeah. Uh, London's like one of the and being a pretty big market too. It's like one of the last. It's probably the first one that seems affordable. I, I would say as you drive down the four hundred one there towards Windsor and 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 Detroit and that. I think it's probably the first one that feels a little bit affordable still. Kitchener Waterloo seems. I know Hamilton. A lot of people feel it's at a reach for a lot of people that are like first time buyers and that. Probably I don't know if it's kind of somewhat like Peterborough, maybe Rob, or your way, but. It feels yeah. a little bit affordable, even though it's. I mean, Durham, Durham's getting there, I think. But I mean, I, see again, I feel like I'm looking at it from like what my I have an anchored type attitude towards that. I'm I'm anchoring myself in the way that things were like last year, and then when you see this incredible appreciation, it's hard to imagine being on par with myself when I entered the the um, investment market. Right. Somebody else who had been in it for 10 years might have been just go pulling their hair out saying, oh, my God, I'm never going to find a deal again. But when I started out, I was thinking, you know, these are great prices. You know, there's only up from here. So I think it, it's tough man. it's it's all about perspective, I suppose. And I think that there's I mean, I mean, if you listen to our our um, interview with Dion Begg that we did a couple of months ago now, he explains that look at it as your child's, you know, nest egg or whatever, look, not a nest egg, but look at it as a investment for your child's future, right? Instead of maybe even something that's going to possibly make you money every month. Hopefully it does. I think that there's still deals like that out there, but people take their hard earned income and they put it into a, a fund for their children. You know, if you look at it that way, it's going to return exponentially regardless of the prices. Yeah. That you're looking at now it's just it's it's really tough it's it's hard to say um 
But I do think that there's opportunities everywhere. You just got to look a little harder for them now, maybe. I think too, um, people were really set on, oh, I need this amount of cap rate. I need this amount here. And you're like, wait a minute, let's just look at the numbers. If you can just get it to break even, or even if you're 100, 200 bucks a month into it, in two years, the rental rates are going to be that much higher. The appreciation is going to be that much higher. And it's going to go back to um, those great numbers. So people were very much like, no, I have to cash flow X amount before and are now looking at it going, oh, there's nothing available. And yet people are still coming in and buying it and they are still making money on it in the next five years. So you have to kind of, it's not a short term you know, quick fix right now. Mm. It's making it look at that a little bit longer term, but you're going to make money. It's always gone up historically. I mean, there's these little tiny bumps in the road, but on long term, it's always going up. And mm. anyone that was around 20 years ago is like, I should never have sold those properties that I had. Um, they're worth so much more now. Right. So just get in the market now is the key. That one, that one, that property worth two fifty or two seventy. You said now it's not going back to sixty five grand. That's no, not <laughs> right. it's probably not going well, back to two hundred grand, let alone sixty five. Did you make a, some a little bit of money selling it? Yeah, I did. Um, so not only that, it covered itself for the six months. So there was that, and then I made some and rolled it into the next property, which uh, we made a hundred thousand on on the next one. So. Yeah. It, it made sense. It gave me that extra. I mean, when I started out at 21, I had four grand to work with, right, as a down payment. So um, it get me to roll into the next one, and and we were able to make much better money on the next one. Uh, what are some other things to consider? Like you were mentioning there about uh, even being maybe negative cash flow, but I mean, I and I I agree. I'm a definitely a big believer in cash flow. I think that's important um, if you're building out a portfolio. It's less important, I find, if you're just buying one or two properties right and you're maybe you have one child and you're buying one property for their whatever you want to call it education fund or uh wedding gift or something i don't know but it's it's less important buying for cash flow if you're buying 100 properties is you know you don't want 100 negatively uh cash flowing properties but it all depends on your specific situation right and there's so many ways to to do this game it's not one generic path there's not one generic like strategy there's not one great market that's better than everywhere else um but what are some of the other factors there to consider when they're people are looking at different markets or different strategies like how do you actually figure out what to, i think a lot of people get lost in the this person does it this way or that person is that way and it's shiny object syndrome all over the place but how do you actually figure that out how do you factor how do you weigh all those factors what do you look for uh, well, I think it it's very personal too, right? Like some investors are very just numbers driven. They don't, doesn't matter who's in there, what tenants in there, nothing. It, it doesn't matter. Um, others are, are no, I, I want to be this type of landlord. I want to have this type of tenant. Um, and I, I want to live in this type of area kind of thing. So it's very personal. I think when we're kind of looking at what's available, um, but <laughs> It's funny we're talking about like the negative cash flow i have um one of my units i think i'm now with the way taxes have gone up and everything else i'm about 250 dollars a month in the negative so it's a negative cash flow for me but i bought that property two years ago um so if we look at let's say 200 a month for 2400 a year that's my 2400 a year i'm investing into that property it has, I bought it for 140,000 two years ago. It's now worth 320. So that $2,400 a month or 2,400 a year that I'm putting in has made me close to 150 to 200,000 in, in, you in know. Equity, absolutely, right? yeah. Right, so is that is that worth it? You know, what other investment can you put in 2,400 a year and come out with 100? Right. Um, so that's when we look at that and we have to look at people's comfort zone. OK, maybe they can't do the, the negative of two hundred dollars a month. We have to kind of look at that and, and tarot, tailor each kind of investment to them um, and their comfort zone and their risk reward kind of. Right. So even when like a lot of people should start to look at it the way in, in that way, 
And uh, a lot of people would say, well, I need to pull my money out as soon as I, um, you know, like I'm doing a burst strategy, I want to pull my money back out. But, you know, uh, um, so so most people set themselves up in being able to refinance, like they get themselves into a merge product where they're able to refinance when they're done. But let's say it's that scenario where you were talking about where you bought it for 500 and you put the 150 into it. And so now you've, now it's only worth 650. So, you know, you might wait a couple of years to, uh, to see that appreciation and still have the ability to refinance it once, once it's went up to 750. Right. right. So very, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what other um, options are out there currently? Just find anything out. I know you're working on something kind of interesting out there. Why don't we talk about that one a little bit? Yeah. So um, I have a really awesome um, property that's it's now 89 units. They've added in a unit as of January 1st. Um, and it's basically a low income housing building. There's two buildings on them. They're both less than seven years old. Um, they've got solar income they've got um, really low expenses because they've got the rain, rainwater recovery um, that does the in-floor heating as well um, so super efficient buildings um, and they've got these low-income housing grants on them so they're in this program for the next 20 and 25 years uh, the city has given this forgivable loan basically on these properties. And the plan is the city wants to keep them in the uh, low income housing program. So when those ones are close to their expiration, they're looking at doing another influx of about $100,000 per door. So when you've got 89 doors, and I think 86 of them are in the program, you're looking at another $8.6 million cash flow lump sum put into these properties. Um, so it's a long term, like when we talk about buy and hold, this is that long term property. So it's got, you know, a bunch of different options with it where, you know, you let the this uh, low income housing grant kind of end and slowly switch it over into market rents that would be by that point, probably three or four times what they are right now. Um, so if you're, you know, it's making money now. Um, I think it, it makes close to 450,000 uh, a year um, profit right now. You're looking at putting it into um, regular market rents, your market, your prices are, your rent is going to go up and your income is going to go way up. The other option is you could probably sell it off as condos. And right now we look at each one of those doors is probably over 200,000 per door if you condoized it. Um, so right now, even that, that market value puts it at about 17 mil. Um, and then the other option is to take on the low income housing grant and just take in that extra 8.6 million at that, that end date and continue doing what you're doing. So right now it's listed at 10.5 million. Um, it's a really cool opportunity and we don't see a ton of these buildings. I think we'll see more as um, the housing shortage continues on, but it's a really kind of interesting way to um, like have this really cool building and have a lot of like passive kind of income coming through. That's an interesting, um, interesting, interesting opportunity that don't come they don't, those don't come up very often, but there is a lot of short-term, uh, so not short-term, low-income um, housing like grants and things like that going on in different cities across Canada, I'm sure. Definitely, I know in Hamilton as well, similar sort of, not yeah. a lot of opportunities like that to come up necessarily, but there's similar um, things going on definitely in the market. And uh, can you explain a little more about what that actually, like what does that look like in terms of the rents? Like, are they a certain percentage of fair market or how does that work? Yeah, so depending on the city and, and the contract that they put on, um, the rentals are set at like between 50 and 60% of market rents. So if they say, okay, a one bedroom unit is $1,000, the maximum you can do is $600,000 or $650,000. So at $650,000, you can go up with the market rent increase every year, um, but it's set 
the, the original start point is at that 650. I like, I like the multiple uh, exits, not exit strategies, but the multiple strategies at the end of that term too. It's very yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it has a lot of opportunity there, I think. So that's a, uh, yeah, I know there's, that's, that's the longer term outlook on it. I think it's a, obviously it requires a decent amount of cash to buy something like that out of the gate, but, um, but there's a lot of money out there. I think to, to put something to get, like that together and purchase that, I think um, like, what is the negative side to it? Cause it sounds obviously like a home run eventually, mm -hmm. although it's a long <laughs> way to go. But if you were thinking about a retirement plan or someone, a child's education fund or something, 20 years yeah. maybe isn't that far out, but what are the negatives to something like so, that? Okay. So because of the low income housing grant, the way it's set up is that you, you can't mortgage it. It's already like a mortgage on there, although it's hundred percent forgivable. So you're not paying it back. Um, it just, it's letting the time run out on it. Um, so you can't mortgage that portion of it. And if you do, it would be a third mortgage in behind it. So that's, that's the drawback on that. Um, but if you had other properties that you could finance, you could pull the cash out and put it onto this one. So it would kind of be a bit of a wash that way if you had enough equity in something else. Uh, what are some of the options that you're seeing in the market currently for investors other than that? Is there any other ones? Yeah, I think the multifamily burrs are where um, I would suggest a lot of the investors are going. There's a little less competition in that realm because the numbers do still have to work. Um, that's kind of right now, if you're looking for, you know, something under the $10 million price range, that's probably where I would steer you. Um, anything like the bigger multifamilies as well. There's a lot of those right now that when we look at the title of them, the last time they were purchased was sometime back in the eighties. So if you look at, if they were 35 to 40, um, when they bought those properties, those owners, a lot of them, um, unless they pass them down into family are in their eighties. So I think when we look at all across Ontario, there's going to be a ton of opportunity coming up with those properties, um, that people are going to start selling off. And, um, you know, a lot of them have older because they've had them for so long, having super high rents in them wasn't important. So I think there's a lot of opportunity when those properties do get turned over to increase the value of them. A lot of baby, baby boomers in that crowd might be in that, in that group, right. Which is a lot of people, um, yeah. Looking at doing something with them or transitioning out of the real estate game in some way. Yeah. It's time to retire, right? That that's why they bought them. Definitely. I agree. I had another opportunity that I was thinking about. And oh, uh, the other thing I was I was thinking about too, and I just because I was talking with a mortgage broker today, and I was just I'm amazed at the alternative lender opportunities out there and, and the and the flexibility that they seem to have right now. I don't know if it's COVID related or it's just the fact of the the rates across the board are just so low. But um I'm just seeing a lot of different opportunities. If you're someone who's like struggling to get financing, maybe because you're self-employed or you're in you you do your taxes a little differently than a someone with a great looking T4. Um, I think there's some opportunities to maybe look or maybe restructuring your portfolio a little bit, or just looking at some properties that maybe you weren't looking at before because you couldn't get financing in a corp, for example, or you couldn't finance it because you show no income income on your taxes, or you certain areas. I've seen certain areas in Hamilton where lenders would never touch before alternative lenders even even if they were pretty good areas there's all that that b lending group was very against it and all of a sudden there's a few of them that are really really um itching to get their money in in out there and lend it so i think there's some opportunities in that a little bit as well just with um and i know there's a lot of people that are self-employed or in that bracket that, that struggle with financing at times that is getting a lot easier i maybe not a lot easier but it's definitely um seems to be some opportunities there as well yeah, we're seeing it all the time with buyers. Like they, they've got some pretty creative stuff to, that they're doing to make these deals come together. I'm um, seeing so the rates like in the low threes for B lenders, which is what two points lower than it normally would be. Yeah. <clears throat> so you're almost like you're you're at like what we would have called historically low A lending, conventional lending rates. What three years ago, right? So it's it's crazy. It's crazy the numbers I'm seeing out there. It's 
there's you just have to get in the market i think that's what it comes back to is is people need to be finding ways to get in the market because obviously we've talked about all the long-term benefits of all that and and having that long-term outlook and some examples here today i think some element of timing the market in 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 this stuff but really you just need to get in there and and stay in there and what better time when money is so incredibly cheap and people are looking to loan it out it seems um and you know, ultimately the prices are so high a little bit because of the, the money and how cheap it is and getting in today at a hundred grand more than maybe a year ago, you're probably paying the same month to month or even less. I think that's the main key, right? The interest rates are so much lower right now that yes, you're going to pay more because the market's gone up, but your payments are still the same, right? For the most part, your interest rates are so much lower that just don't worry about that sticker shock that's out there on this the purchase price look at the actual numbers in behind yeah it's a really good point i think that people need to take into account right uh like the the only difference is going to be maybe a little bit more of a down payment yeah Yeah. a little more down payment for sure yeah maybe the market goes down a bit i guess that's possible but let's say it keeps going you're you're getting appreciation on the hundred percent of that property not the not the portion you put down right so it's it's just incredible the amount of wealth that can be built through that i think that people just more than ever need to get rid of that fact of well the market's really hot i should just sit on the sidelines well good luck getting in when the market's if if the market ever tanks good luck getting in because that's means money's way more expensive probably, or it's a lot harder to get mortgages. That's going to be why it goes backwards. Right. So. Well, and all the people that are investing now with the market higher are going to have that much more money when the market does tank and then you're competing against them as well. So it's the demand is going to be 10 times more. Like it just, it doesn't seem to, to even out in that philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think by now and by then, yeah. Yeah. I always, I always for the right, if it's the right opportunity that fits your, your, your game plan, right. Your strategy. Uh, how can you help investors get started investing or build on their current portfolio? So I think that one, it, again, I kind of touched on it a little bit. It all depends on what their little niche market is, right? What's important to them? Where is their risk thing, risk reward? What's important to them? What area kind of, you know, a lot of investors, it doesn't matter what area, it's all about the numbers and, and what they can kind of sleep at night with, right? So um, taking a look at, at, you know, sitting down with them and, and really digging down into, you know, their motivation and, and what's important and what the numbers need to look like. And, you know, maybe they only want to be in, you know, Southwestern Ontario, maybe they don't really care. And it's, you know, how do we get the most money the quickest? Or, you know, my kids going to school in 20 years, what's the best plan there, right? It's looking at the exit strategy, and what the risk reward thing is now, um, and really digging down into that and and matching them up with the right properties. That's great. Uh, What what areas do you help uh, people into You're mainly London is do you focus on any other areas? So right now, we're, I'm mainly multifamily based, right? So looking at everything in Ontario, uh, we've got a team across Ontario through MRN as well. Um, that, so you get like-minded agents that uh, can help in different areas, but we're looking at the numbers across Ontario. So it's not just a little little geographic area. It's looking at the properties that are right across um, and what cap rates are where and and why and um, you know, tenant demographics and, and that sort of thing. And, and looking at um, it as a whole, right. As the province as a whole. All right, so one more thing on, on London. What's, what is driving, like you mentioned a couple of things. Is there anything unique in the economy there? That's like driving people to go there versus a kitchen Waterloo or a Hamilton or a Montreal or some other areas in the country. Like what's specifically happening in London there? Cause if, it seems cool. I don't know as much about it as you do, obviously. I think it's just, it's still a little bit cheaper than everywhere for some reason, but it's got a pretty diverse economy, right? Yeah. So we've got like all sorts of different things. We've got three different hospitals and two, like a university and a college. Um, we've got a bunch of different larger industries like Dr. Ucker and 3M and General Dynamics. Um, so there's, different aspects of it it's pretty well uh rounded when it comes to 
all sorts of different things. There's lots of great schools and um, parks and that sort of thing. So it's great. It's also just on the cusp of that two hour mark from the GTA. So um, the other thing that was huge speculation a few years ago, and I imagine uh, it'll come back into play in the next few years is the high speed train to the GTA, which would turn that two hour commute into 72 minutes, I think they said. Um, so that cuts, you know, makes commuting, if you had to, um, huge. The other thing too is with all of those things, we've been put on the map in the last few years as one of the more economical cities to live in in Canada. So um, with that and the combination of you know, being close proximity to, you know, major airports and that sort of thing. Um, it It's really kind of helped boost our market and make it profitable. I think the other thing too is because of that demand, investors are seeing more profit too. Is that high-speed train, is that Windsor all the way to Toronto or is that just London? So it's just to London and then it'll go to Windsor, um, I think like seven or 10 years later. So... Yeah. So let's see how that comes back, if that comes back into the fold with the whole virtual world and less commuting perhaps anyways, but I guess we'll have to wait and see on that, right? Yeah. And I mean, COVID's changed things, right? There's a lot of people working from home now they're, they're where they don't have to go to the office in Toronto all the time. Um, it's not a daily commute. It could be a monthly, once a month kind of thing or, or not even where they are fully remote. Um, and that's changed a lot of markets across Ontario. London's really been put on the map for that for sure because of all the amenities the city has. You know, it's kind of a, a little big town. Yeah, and this has definitely freed up a lot of time for people to, instead of commuting, maybe they're running numbers and, uh, and looking for new investment properties. Um, and if that is the case, how could those people get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, you can email me anytime at NikkiCalford at kw.com or um, give me a call at 519-636-5097. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter um, at Nikki Calford um, or Nikki Calford Real Estate Team. And again, you can always contact me through the MRN network as well. A lot of ways to get in touch and all of those will be in the show notes for anyone who goes over there. They can just click on the links and get in touch with Nikki right away. So thank you for joining us today and sharing all of this. Appreciate your time. And, uh, and uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Sandy, how can, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, 289-389-6846 or Sandy at McKay Realty Network.com. And people can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us again today, and we will see you soon.